motion. Let's get our Bibles out and let's open up to Exodus chapter 40. We're going to be in a uh, series called Foretold for the next several weeks during the Advent season. If you're new to the word Advent, it just means uh, leading up to, and so we're, it's the usually the four weeks leading up to Christmas, so we're going to spend these four weeks leading up to Christmas uh, in this series so that our hearts are fully prepared and ready to celebrate Christmas this year. And so uh, we're going to begin this morning in Exodus chapter 40. That's on page 89 in that pew Bible there in front of you. So if you didn't bring a Bible, just grab that one in front of you, open to page 89, follow along. If you need a Bible, take that Bible. If you know somebody that needs a Bible, take them that Bible so they have a Bible. Amen. All right, we're going to pray, then we'll jump in together. Father, thank you for your word, the greatest possession we have on this earth. It's perfect, it's inerrant, it's ability to transform our minds is miraculous. We thank you that we have the opportunity this morning to worship you through the hearing, reading, and studying of your word. Lord, would you give ears to hear? Would you take control of my mouth and use it as a vessel to communicate your will to your people for your glory? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, to get your listening guides out uh, so you can be ready as we work through this. <clears throat> we come to church all the time. I mean, some of us in here have been coming to uh, this room on this day for decades. We come to church because we come to church sometimes. And sometimes what happens is we end up just coming to church because that's what we do and we just have to stop for a second and be reminded of, well, no, what are we doing here? Why are we here? What's the point? What's the purpose? And if you're wondering why there's so many people not here this morning, that's because they're D group leaders and they're up in the D group meeting. And if you were supposed to be in there, you're late. So forget it. You can go next week during second service. Okay? That's where they all are. So the reason we come here is to worship God through the study of His Word. And what we want to do is we want to leave every week being fed by the Holy Spirit through His Word. And we want to, we want to my job is to take the Bible and to, and to open it up for you in a way that you are able to see it and receive it and hear it and understand it. And that the Spirit can do the work in you that He desires to do. But I can't do that, only God can do that. But my job is just to be a vessel to do that. So that's why we're here. So would it be okay if we studied the Bible this morning together? In the same way, I don't want you to celebrate Christmas because it's December 25th. I don't want you to celebrate Christmas because that's what you do every year on that day. Or that's what's expected of you. Or that's, I want you to really, let's really celebrate Christmas. Let's be reminded of some things this morning, okay? All right. So here's, here's what happens to us. 
If you're saved, then when you got saved, you realize something. Every saved person who gets saved realizes, among other things, that God didn't just start speaking to you, but that God has been speaking to you. You just didn't hear Him. See, every saved person knows when they look back in the rearview mirror of their lives, suddenly you begin to see what God was there and He was there and He was there and He was there. Isn't that how that happened? Yes. And so here's how we, we would say it this morning on our listening guides. When we become new in God, we realize that we're not new to God. See, before I got saved, I didn't know God because I wasn't saved. And then I started hearing about God, and I thought, well, I, I, I didn't know about God, and God didn't know about me. And I thought that salvation was me and God sort of connecting for the first time. But I quickly realized God's been working on me for a long time. He's been speaking to me for a long time. And I could see all of these evidences in my past of where God was, was protecting me or leading me or guiding me or shaping me or trying to show me things. But I just, I didn't hear. And that's the way God is. And so whenever we come to the Bible, we need to understand that the Bible's telling a story. And wherever we are in the Bible... That's part of this long narrative story, but it's, it's really all one story, and it's just woven together. And so we're somewhere in a piece of the story. And so if you, if you open your Bible and you start reading through the book of Exodus, here's what happens. You start at the beginning of Exodus, and you start reading, and you're like, man, this is amazing. There's like plagues going and miracles and seas parting and all these crazy things are happening. You're like, man, we, they should make a movie about this. Right? I mean, they kind of did. But that, right? But then you get to Exodus 21 and the brakes come on. It just stops. And it just changes. And you're like, well, they shouldn't make a movie about this part. Because it's 15 chapters of tiny little minute details about exactly what size to make something and shape to make something and what material to use to make it. And it's just like, are you kidding me? 15 chapters of the most detailed instructions you could ever imagine in your life. As God's telling Moses exactly how to make the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is just God's revelation of himself to his people in Exodus. It's just part of a big story. So let's read from Exodus 40. Let's read some of this so that we can just first understand where, where, where we are. Exodus 40. Let's begin in verse 16. I'll try to make it 
as least painful as possible. Ready? This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did in the first month of the second year. On the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases. He set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering, covering over the tent over it. And the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses, verse 20, he took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil on the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle at the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering of the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet when they went into the tent of meeting. And when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 33, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Fifteen chapters of that. Fifteen. Why? Why so much detail? Why all of these little tiny... Why is, why is this in the Bible? Why did, we, why did God decide that we needed to use 15 chapters of the most valuable, precious real estate in the universe on all these details? And when you're reading the Bible... You have to ask that question. This is in here. God wants me to know this, but why? Why is this here? What is God telling me? It's very important. I want you to realize the details reveal the priorities of God. Just like in your life and my life. See, the things that are most important to us are the things we're most careful about, aren't we? You see, when you give someone instruction about how to do something or use something or whatever the case may be, the more important it is, the more specific and detailed the instruction is, right? It's not rocket science, right? So see, if my wife tells me to be somewhere and all she gives me is the time, then that communicates to me that I just have to be there at that time. I can wear anything I want. I can look any way I want. I can, I, all I have to do is be there at that time. But when my wife tells me, 
that I have to be a certain place at a certain time, but that I have to look a certain way, or that, or, or that my clothes are laid out exactly down to the socks that I'm supposed to wear. It's important. Right? It matters. Done hundreds of weddings. Don't get me started on details. It's important. It's important, right? So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the story begins with creation, right? And God explains to us how all that is came to be. And Adam and Eve are with God, and they have complete, unhindered access to God. But then in Genesis 3, the fall comes. They eat the fruit, brokenness enters the picture. And they don't just lose the garden. They lose the presence of God. Now, look, this is the last verse, two verses of Genesis 3. Therefore the Lord God sent him out, Adam, out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Banished out of the garden. The very next verse, chapter 4. In other words, I'm just teaching you how to read the Bible. There, there's the explanation of how we got here and what happened. Then you get to chapter 4, and here we go. We've got all these details. Cain and Abel and all their brokenness. And Noah and all his brokenness. And you're saying, now Why? Why do I need to know all these details? Well, what's God doing? Well, God's teaching us something. He's teaching us about the consequences of what happened in chapter 3. We need to understand what sin did and what sin causes and what sin looks like and what sin feels like, right? Then we get to chapter 12 in Genesis and we have the call of Abraham. In other words, you see this progression. Something's happening. Something was, then something was taken, and then we start getting all of these details, and we have this call of Abraham that God's going to raise up a people that are going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And we're sort of like, now what's going on? But that story's connected to 15 chapters of details. Now when you read the 15 chapters of details about the tabernacle, here's what you start to realize. Things start to jump out. Like, for example... When Moses sets up what I read to you in in chapter 40, when Moses sets up all those pieces, did you notice he set them up from the inside out, not the outside in? He started at the middle and worked out. The last thing he set up was the outside. The first thing he set up was the inside. What was the very first thing he had? The ark, remember? Why? Why? Because what's going on in these 15 chapters of detail is the reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. God's reversing what happened. 
But it's going to be a long process. It's going to take us a long time to get our heads around it. So this is just the beginning stages, the beginning steps of God reversing what happened. It's sort of like when we get to the tabernacle, God's explaining to us like, okay, we're moving from graves back to gardens. We were in the garden. We got banished from the garden. Now we're going to start this process of moving back to the garden. See, they didn't just lose the garden. They lost the presence of God. And God tells Moses exactly why he wants him to build the tabernacle. He says in Exodus 29, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that that I might dwell among them. That's his purpose. So we could say the theme of Exodus is God sets his people free to know him and to fellowship with him. That's what all of this is about. That's what all these plagues and the parting of the sea and all this stuff is going on is connected to what happened. It's, It's from the beginning. It's all connected. So wherever you open your Bible, it's connected to Genesis 1 and it's leading to the end of Revelation. See, God's people are outside the presence of God. So in the tabernacle, we see God. What's God doing? He's moving toward his people. They've been banished from the garden. He's moving towards them in the middle of the desert. His presence is coming back towards them. And they had disobeyed and they were disobedient. And they hadn't done anything to deserve it or earn it. But God's moving towards them. He's pursuing them. Did you notice that when you, when you read these 15 chapters... Every single thing in the tabernacle has rings on it made of specific metals depending on where they are in the tabernacle because so that you can slide poles through it. So everything is movable. It's all designed to move. Why? Because God is on the move. And God wants to be wherever his people are. He wants them to know that he's with them. See, and so when you're reading your Bible and you think, man, this this is killing me 15 chapters of detail, then something's wrong. Your heart ought to be leaping out of your chest. Because even if you don't understand anything, you could at least understand this. Did you expect the solution to the greatest problem in the universe to be simple? Of course you did. So, the, so if one step is 15 chapters of detail, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because what are we moving through? We're trying to, God's solving the greatest tragedy in the universe. It's going to be a process. In the midst of the brokenness and separation, when I'm reading these 15 chapters of details, my heart's starting to well up because you know why? Because I'm starting to feel hope. I'm starting to feel hope in the story. I'm starting to go, something's happening. Something's going on. Something's moving. That's why the tabernacle foretells the story of all stories. See, the tabernacle is foretelling the Christmas story. And if you can get this, 
Like if you take the conversation we had this morning and you take it into Christmas morning and your celebration of Christmas, man, you are gonna, you're going to be so excited you're not going to know how to stand it. It's going to be unbelievable. See, the presence of God in the tabernacle is different than the presence of God in the garden, isn't it? See, we're not, it's not a one-step restoration. We're just moving in that direction. In other words, when you read the, the, the detail of the tabernacle, you realize, well, this isn't like the garden because in the tabernacle, there's all these curtains. There's all these barriers. There's all the, in the garden, there wasn't any barriers. There was just free, unhindered access. But the tabernacle is not a full restoration of what was. It's just a step in that direction. See, until Jesus comes and takes away all the barriers. Here's an illustration that you can just see. This is the tabernacle. So you see the entrance here on your right side. And you would enter in. And so you would go to the altar burn offerings. Then you would go to the bronze laver, the basin where you would of cleansing. Then you move inside. You move inside. See, though, that box, that, that's all surrounded, no windows with giant thick curtains. You move inside and you've got the table of showbread on one side, the golden lampstand on the other side, the altar of incense in front of you, and then there's another curtain, and then through that curtain you move into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. And so that's what's going on. That's a picture of how this would work. And when we think about all this and we read through these details, we, we see that in Jesus' offering of himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. See, look. Step one through the door. The first thing you come to, offering. Jesus offer, offers himself as a sacrifice for us. Which then in turn, what? The next thing, cleanses us of our sin. Which then, what? We walk into the next thing. On one side, we've got the grain offering, the bread offering. Jesus is the what? The what of life? Oh, and then we have the, the golden lampstand. J- Jesus is the what of the world? Light of the world. You see that? Then in front of you, you have the altar of incense. In other words, doesn't the Bible say that in Christ, we're a fragrant aroma? Isn't that what it says? And then you move into the holy of holies. So what, what you see is a picture But in the time, no one could know that, but we can now. But you see a picture of what's being foretold, of what's coming in this design and in these details. See, on those curtains of separation, there's details on those curtains. The Bible says in Exodus 26, Moreover, you shall make in the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. There were, there were cherubim embroidered on those curtains. Well, why? Because remember, I just read this to you. When, when we were banished from the garden, what was set to block the entrance back to the garden? Cherubim. So what's on the curtain that's separating us from God's presence? Cherubim, Right? What does the Bible say in Matthew 27? Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. When that veil was torn, what was on that veil? 
cherubim that were guarding us from returning to the garden. But God ripped it. Why? To illustrate to us that we're moving back to there. That something's being foretold in all these details. Then in Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. See, that curtain represents what? His flesh. And when was it ripped from top to bottom? As he died on the cross, as his flesh was given up, it was ripped. All those tiny details all come being foretold to encourage us, to lead us and guide us. It's the reversal of the curse of Eden. That's what that is. Flip back in your Bible to Exodus 25. Let's just take one little piece and look at it and be encouraged by it. Exodus 25. Beginning in verse 31. Here's one piece, okay? The Bible says, God tells Moses, You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of a hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, that means buds, and its flowers shall be one piece of it. And there shall be six branches going out from its sides, three branches from the lampstand out of out of one side of it, and then three branches out of the lampstand, out of the other side of it. Verse 33, three cups make, a, make uh, like almond blossoms, each with a bud and flower, and one branch. The three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a bud and a flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out from the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms, with their calyxes and flowers, and the calyx of the one shall be of one piece, and under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand, and their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up as to give light to the space in front of it. Its tongs on its tray shall be of pure gold, and it shall be made with all these utensils out of the talent of pure gold and see that you make them after the pattern from which is being shown you on the mountain. And remember, you can write in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, after that verse 40, because that's quoted in the book of Hebrews. So it doesn't mean that these things were on the mountain. It just means that these things are according to the the heavenly way that God does things, the way when, when Moses was able to see things that we're not able to see. And so here's the thing. So you read that and you go, well, why am I reading all this? But the point is because God wants you to know this. And why does God want us to know this? Well, just start thinking to yourself, okay, I'm reading this and, and I'm just saying, okay, I don't know what's going on, but there's, there's buds and flowers and branches Right? Isn't that what it said? Now, you can pick that up. So you say to yourself, well, this, this lampstand is designed to look like a tree. Right? It's, it's clearly designed to look like a tree. Well, why is it designed to look like a tree? And then you start thinking to yourself, well, where in the Bible? There's all these references of Jesus. 
And they don't make sense unless you put the pieces together. Like in Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Hmm. See, like a tree, there's this one central stem coming up and then described three branches on one side, three branches on another side. Can you advance the slide? Uh, something's going on. John 15, 5. What is all that about? Well, the Bible says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what you have is this vine with three branches coming out on one side and three branches coming out on another side. That's, that's not an accident that that's that way. Jesus is the vine. Notice when you're reading that, why is, why is God telling Moses over and over and over, it's to be made, hammered out of one piece of pure gold. Very specific, not different things fit together, but one piece hammered out of pure gold. Well, why? Why, why is it? hammered out. Why? So we have a tree. Jesus is described as a tree. Then Jesus says, I'm the vine. We're the branches. So things are starting to click together. And then we think, well, this is hammered out. Well, representing Jesus' body on a tree being hammered, beaten for us. In Genesis 3, all this trouble started. Why? Because Fruit was eaten from a tree in the tabernacle. We see there's a tree except for something new. This tree gives light. Then you move into the Gospels and we have a tree. Except for this time it's the tree of Calvary. And we see light nailed to the tree. But this light pushes back darkness permanently. See, what God is saying is, he's saying, listen, in the tabernacle, in this little baby step along this foretold narrative, we're realizing God's saying, hey, it's totally dark. There's no windows in there. And then light is now available. See, for the first time, there's light where there was no light. Because I'm coming toward you. I'm moving toward you. I'm telling this story over thousands of years, and it's a story of me slowly moving toward you step by step by step. Not because I'm trying to go slow, but because it's, we're solving the greatest problem in the universe, and it's going to take time for you, to get, for, for you to get your heads around what's going on. So the lampstand is just a little piece foretelling a story. It's God in the in the tabernacle, in the, with the lampstand, he's saying, listen, I'm doing for you what you can't do for yourself. It was total darkness. The tabernacle, the lampstand comes, and now there's a little bit of light in the darkness, right? But you couldn't, you couldn't bring light in yourself. God had to do that. So when you're listening, God, next slide, I'm giving light that exposes your need 
And I'm giving myself to meet that need. See, that's what Jesus wants us to know. That's what's happening with this lampstand. I'm giving light where there was no light that exposes, hey, wait a minute. We don't, we need light. We don't, we, before, because without that, we would just think darkness is all there is. But light comes and we go, hold on. We need light, but we can't make light. But Jesus says, now that you know you need light, I'm going to give myself to be the light for you. I'm going to meet the need that you can't meet for yourself, but first you got to realize you have the need. That's what's happening. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. See? Then in John chapter 8, verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, this past week, we've been decorating our tree. Mostly, Lisa's been decorating the tree. Mostly because every time I put something on it, she says, that's wrong and looks terrible. Move it, please. Apparently, she has 15 chapters of directions of how the tree is supposed to look. Why do we put, and as we're putting light on the tree, you know what I'm thinking of? The lampstand, putting light in the tabernacle that looks like a tree with branches on the sides. And then I'm outside putting lights on my house, and I'm thinking about the light that's shown into the darkness as I'm putting lights on my house. Yeah. I'm not just putting lights on my house because it's Christmas time. I'm thinking about, well, why am I doing this? Why am I putting lights on a tree? In John chapter 1, The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. So we're in Genesis, moving forward. We're made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then in verse 9, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt is what word? Tabernacled. He tabernacled, now not the tabernacle, but the tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. And now we've seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, God starts moving towards His people through a tent. But it's a foreshadow of what God's going to do. And see, knowing what was foreshadowed, because here's the thing. When I got saved, it was amazing and it was wonderful, just like when you got saved. But then when I started realizing that God 
had been speaking to me all that time and been revealing himself to me all that time. And when I started to realize all the ways that God had been working in my life, preparing me to receive him and and chasing after me and pursuing after me. And I thought, man, and you see, because if you think you found God, well, that would be good news. But if you think you were found by the God of the universe, that is great news. Great news. See, because God has come, we no longer need an altar of sacrifice. We no longer need a basin to cleanse ourselves. We no longer need a lampstand because He's light. We no longer need bread offerings because He's the bread of life. We no longer need a curtain of separation because we've been restored to fellowship. It's been ripped in two. We don't need a tabernacle because we have Jesus. Jesus, see, this has been foretold all through the Scripture. The light of the world. The only one who ultimately comes and reveals things to us. God. See, if you think about it, where there is light, see, darkness can't overcome it. Where there's light, darkness has to flee, right? Right? That's how that works. There's darkness, and you're, you're, in, the, you're in the dark, and you're, you're just stuck there. You can't turn up the darkness. It's just dark. There's no darkness switch. It's just dark. But when light enters, the darkness flees. Darkness can't overcome light. Light always overcomes darkness. That's how that works. But you see... Even though the light is shown, to see is a choice. See, you can be in the light and not see anything. What do you mean, Pastor Tony? It's a choice. What do you mean, Pastor Tony? Think about it. Why did God give you eyelids? God didn't have to do that. Why do you have eyelids? Well, God could have just made us where we sleep with our eyes open. Now, he didn't give us eyelids so that we could sleep. He, didn't, he gave us eyelids because he wanted to give us eyelids. It's a choice. You can close your eyes. You can be in the light and close your eyes and make it dark. It's a choice. All of us have a choice. See, in John chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, it's a choice. Light comes in and dispels darkness, but we can close our eyes. We can choose darkness. Why would we do that? Because when light comes on, it exposes our needs. See, it exposes. And we don't want to see that. We don't want to know that. We don't want to know what's really going on. We want to run from that. That's what the natural man wants to do is run from that. Let's just pretend that's not happening. Let's just pretend that that's not there. See, it's the kindness of God that 
shines his light on us to show us our need. See that? Here's this tabernacle walled in with these thick, dark curtains with cherubim on them and no windows, complete and utter darkness in there. But there's this lampstand, this tree with these branches coming off, burning. See, Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. Isn't that what he said? You have branches. So there's one main stem lit up, but there's also branches lit up. And that, that exposes our need. And then he reveals himself as a solution to our need. That's his goodness and kindness. He draws us out of darkness. Not so that he can free us just to be in the light for the sake of being in the light. But so that he can free us for what? He told us in the purpose of the tabernacle. So that we could know him and we could fellowship with him. Because God wants to be where his people are. That's what the tabernacle's telling us. It's 15 chapters of God going, this is my priority. You think your wedding was detailed? It was nothing compared to this. This is the priority of God. This is exactly how I want it done because this is my priority. I want to be where my people are. And in order for that to happen, you got to do things this specific way. And all of these things are foretelling something that's coming in the future. Yeah. See, God's saying... See... Christmas is the culmination of this, this God that's been saying for thousands of years, I want to be with you. I'm preparing a banquet for you. I've reserved a seat for you. See, He's not just a God who saves and then leaves. No, He's a God who saves and stays with us. See, here's, here's what I want you to, to, to get. I want you to wake up on Christmas morning. And before you say anything to anybody else, I just want you to personally be overwhelmed. Just be overwhelmed. Wait, what? A baby? Born in a manger? What? What? This God whose priority is to be with His people? This God who's been foretelling this generation after generation after generation after generation? The story that God's been telling for thousands of years? Last blank on your listening guide? is God wants to be with me. He wants to be with me. See, on Christmas morning, the first thought I want to think is, God wants to be with me. And I want everyone in my house to know, God wants to be with you. And for thousands of years, all these details in the Bible have been telling us about His, his unrelenting purpose to be where his people are. And if you'll open up your eyes and let the light shine in, you'll begin to see God wants to be with me. See, sometimes we can feel like God wouldn't want to be with me because we meet other people that don't want to be with me. It's true. I've met people who don't want to be with me. They're stupid, but they don't want to be with me. 
God does. God wants to be with you. He's been telling you that and telling you that and telling you that. And here's what happened. You got saved. Or maybe this morning you're going to get saved. And then we look back and we see God has been telling us all through our lives. He's been he's been leaving breadcrumbs. He's been revealing himself. We couldn't see because our eye, we kept shutting our eyes. But here's the thing. We get saved and then what happens? He doesn't stop. Listen, some of you, you've, you've drifted off. You've gotten cold. You feel distant from God. You don't want to read your Bible. Your prayer life stinks. You just feel you're just going through the motions. And what do you think God's doing? He's still chasing after you. He's still pursuing you. And here's what he wants you to know this Christmas. He wants to be with you. He loves you. He loves you. He didn't didn't inaugurate the tabernacle because all the people got right and repented and did the... No. He wants you to know he, he wants to be with you. Christmas is God saying, I want to be with you. And somehow when I realize that, all the other things that try to steal my joy don't have any power. God wants to be with me. He wants to be with you. That's the story he's been telling. Let's celebrate Christmas that way. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your priorities, Lord. We thank you this morning that that the angels don't look at what's happening on earth and marvel at our Christmas tree decorations, at the gifts that we buy or the way that we celebrate Christmas. They don't marvel at the way we do church. They don't marvel at any of our religious practices. No, they marvel that the God that they worship, the one that they know, the one who reigns over the universe, they marvel that that God wants to be with us. Lord, will you help us to marvel too? Help our hearts to be blown away by the fact that you want to be with us. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you in a saving way, will you show them right now, God, you want to be with them right now. You want to be with them. Not today, but for eternity. Right now. Will you remind every saved person to let their light shine? And it's the light that God wants to be with you. 
And it shines because everyone we meet, God wants to be with them. So will you do, Lord, what only you can do? We promise to give you the credit and the praise, Lord. We just respond in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to open the altar. You come. If you want to come to the front, kneel and pray, come on. If you want to have a conversation about salvation, well, we'd love to do that. I'm up here.